Conditions are not peaceful. In other words, your thoughts, they might be interesting, but they're not peaceful. Feelings, memories, hopes, expectations, fears, doubts, worries. The physical condition, the sensory world, only well, it's not a peaceful thing. It can be interesting, exciting, fascinating, boring, miserable, horrible. But what I mean by the word peace is the unshakable heart in each one of us. In other words, that which is unconditioned, that doesn't begin and end or change. Now, when these other things, they're subject to change, aren't they? You're in good health, then you can be in bad health. You're young, and then you get old. Whatever is born dies. You have successes and failures. You have good times, bad times. These things are all conditions. All that is subject to change is what we call conditioned phenomena, sankara. And this is what is not self. You say, sape sankara anatta. All conditioned phenomena is not self. Now you might know this when I you know, you might accept this because I, uh, you might think I know something you don't. So you believe me. But that's still not, that's not practice of meditation. That's just believing what somebody else is telling you. So the practice of meditation is the uh, continuous watching and observing the, the things that we're attached to. Not judging. You know, you say, I shouldn't be attached to anything. That's another idea you have, that you shouldn't be attached. We're not condemning attachment, taking a stand against attachment. And the problem with me is I'm attached, and I shouldn't be. The different, different thing is not taking a position against, for or against anything, but just observing. The silent watcher, the silent listener. Listen to, to that mind that's always looking for something, always having opinions and views, making judgment, criticism, fantasizing, criticizing yourself, criticizing everything else, complaining, despairing creating all kinds, having six 
views, fixed opinions. We listen to that. Now, so much of our life, so much of the suffering of our human condition is operating from assumptions that we make about ourselves and the world we live in. But the assumption, since the time we were born, according to our families and society, everywhere in the world, we assume that we are these conditioned things, aren't we? We all assume that this is me. Our language gives this meaning, conveys this meaning, doesn't it? When I say me, I am tomato biku. You say, I am this monk, this person. But this is in a, it, but this is a conventional reality, but it's not the ultimate truth. So where we're moving toward in meditation is not toward reinforcing conventional reality or just adopting new or different kinds of conventional roles. That's not it. But breaking through the delusion, the delusions that we've acquired so far by this insidious grasping and identity with the conditions of the body and mind. able to do this practice it is a kind of determination a tremendous amount of patience necessary be patient willing to endure unpleasant mental and physical conditions willing to be miserable and let it go now in the religious life spiritual development, we all learn how to be completely miserable. You think we probably sit there and titter just in a state of ecstasy and bliss all the time. Yeah. Those monks must just be a beautiful titter, blissed out. But actually the peace the peacefulness of that monastery comes not to, not from being blissed, but from being at ease with misery. In other words, not creating any problems. We train ourselves to accept life. We live life in a certain way. As monks, you have a certain moral code that you live by. This code, the uh, moral code, is is our kind of vehicle, our form that we use, so that we, when we live together, we don't do things to each other that are harmful or cruel. We don't ask each other or do things that would we'd regret later. So we live in a way, at least, that we can abide, live together in the, in a monastery in which we do not cause a lot of uh, problems to each other. But still, the force of habit is strong in, in every monk, every nun, so that they have their own views, opinions, ideas, emotions, guilt, remorse, fear, desires, loneliness, alienation, 
Now you might think that we spend our time trying to get rid of all these things. That's another mistake about meditation is the fact that you have to get rid of something. You meditate in order to maybe get rid of anger or get rid of jealousy, get rid of fear. That's not it. To be so peaceful with these things that you don't mind their presence anymore. With anger, with greed, with fear and doubt and worry. To be so peaceful so kindly that you don't mind them being there anymore. You're willing that they just be there and let them go. Because those conditions things go on their own. And when you are willing to let them go, then they go, they cease, rather than just be repressed. When you're trying to make them go, you repress them. Repression is like like pushing something out here looking this way. It's still here. What The problem is still here, but you don't see it because you're looking the other way. That's what we do when we annihilate things. But cessation is we're sitting here, we're aware. The unpleasant condition or the pleasant, whatever it is. And then it has a chance to become fully conscious and to see. So meditation is allowing things to become conscious that before we've never allowed to become conscious, such as different, such as fear. Fear is something that we tend to just react to very blindly, run away from immediately, or doubt and worry depression, fear of death. All the nagging, irrational, silly, trivial, foolish, dull, doubting, uncertain, or horrible, disgusting things that we tend to suppress or repress. In meditation, we're allowing them to become conscious. So it's called the way of, of uh, the way of no preferences. The great way has no preferences, meaning that we can now allow something that before we wouldn't allow. We allow it to be conscious and let it go, and in that letting go, it can cease. In other words, it arises and then it goes away. Doesn't, you don't kind of push it back, force it back, keep it a prisoner in your mind. Now this is a way of freeing the mind from the burdens of guilt, remorse, and fear, and doubt, and worry, and dullness, and stupidity. That if we don't do this, we tend to accumulate all kinds of things through a lifetime. And the burden of life becomes increasingly more heavy as we get older, as if we have no way of letting things go. So this is a very important kind of thing to be doing. The worldly life, our society here, teaches us how to 
hold on and get things, doesn't it? Our conditioning in this society is to get things. I was looking at the Sunday newspaper. All the advertisements are trying to interest you in getting something, buying something, acquiring, attaining, achieving. But there's nothing in our society that, that talks about cessation. Psychology doesn't even know about cessation. Science and psychology, they, they talk about maybe exchanging your conditions. Maybe you've, you've got some not very nice conditions in your mind. You, maybe you're a depressed person. And so they, they try to make you in, from a depressed person into a happy person or into a normal person. Maybe you should, they think that uh, there's a certain normal state that you should be in. But it's not becoming normal, according to the views of psychologists and psychiatrists, or becoming happy, but in freeing ourselves from becoming an endless process of trying to hold on to things, trying to become something, get something we don't have yet, or trying to get rid of things that we have that we don't want. Now, for example, all of us have human bodies, and they are subject to all kinds of things. Pleasures, we can use them for seeking pleasure. We can get a lot of sensual pleasure out of the body. But also, we can equally, we can get an equal amount of miserable pain. The body is subject to both pleasure and pain. The body is born, grows up, gets old and dies. And all of us know what we have in store for us. We're all getting older old age. So that the, when you think about that very much, when you think about getting older, what, what, what is the general feeling in your mind? Is that a pleasant thought, the idea of getting older? Generally speaking, do we, do we consider old age a kind of privilege and something to look forward to, or do we generally think of it as a, a frightening time when we're subject to all kinds of increasingly more res physical restrictions, we get the, we're not so desirable anymore, people don't want you around, put you off in an old people's home, you begin to lose control of yourself, get senile, you lose your memory, and then the death of the body. Is that, is that what life is all about? Just this being born, growing up, getting old and dying. Is that, is that what it's all about? Is that all there is to it? Is that all there is to a life of a human being? Is that the significance of our life? is that it really doesn't have any significance except that it's just uh, some, something that happens and we don't even know why or what the, the point of it is. 
Now in meditation we're penetrating to the limits of our human condition. We're not making assumptions about ourselves being human beings or that life is a pointless negative experience. We're not making assumptions that we're meant for something higher or greater either. We're not trying to convince ourselves that, that, that there's something greater or better that we can look forward to in the future when we die. But in meditation we're actually pushing to the limits of our human condition to understand the limitations of our human condition as it is. So you'll know exactly what it is, the limitations of being a human being. Oh. That's wisdom. Once you know the limitations of your human of your human condition, then you know how to live in the right way, in a skillful way. Until you know until you know that, you will always be caught in just perfunctory habits, conditions of the moment changing, trying to become something, trying to get rid of something. A kind of helpless victim of moods and feelings and memories and conditioning. Now meditation, as, as the Buddha was teaching us, was this Penetration through wisdom, knowing the limits. When the Buddha was enlightened, when Gautama Buddha was enlightened, he still was—he still had a human body. He touched touched the earth. He recognized the limitations of his of the human condition, and he lived forty odd years, longer than that after enlightenment, as a human being, teaching other human beings. And he taught in such a way that his teaching survives to this time, that he's teaching it tonight here in London. Because it is a teaching of realization of truth, for one thing, recognize that, that the limitations of being a human being, what are they anyway? What can you really know as a human being? What is knowledge? Our society tends to elevate and give great importance to conceptual learning, learning about things, and creativity, creating new things and ideas. So we like to play with our minds. It's an age where we end up being just rather clever children, aren't we? We like to play games with our minds. I think now they have uh, computer games. You see little children playing with computers fascinating, intelligent games that we can all play now. Increase our intelligence, our ability to associate one thing with another according to systems of logic. Figure things out. Abstraction. Attachment to ideas, to things that we see, that we create, and things that we hear. But all these 
things will disappoint us in the long run because no matter how clever we are, how intelligent or how creative, how artistic we might be, it all ends in death, senses fading out, artists and scientists get senile, wet the bed, die. Rather sad sometimes to read about the death of famous or great people because their, their lives were so like kind of wonderful, exciting, inspiring lives and then then they get old and die and forget things and become a bit senile, a bit balmy, difficult, get lost at night and then die. The great, the insignificant human being, men, women, rich and poor, So the limitations of human of our human condition are that it's a span, isn't it? It's a span, a lifespan. Being a human being means you have you have to exist within the limitations of your human condition for the span of your body's life. From birth until the death of this this thing here, this body. So is there something we should learn from all this? from this human dilemma. What is there to learn from it? From being like this? One thing we can learn. Life, as we meditate, is a constant learning. Because life is forever changing. It's changing, moving, always changing and moving from one thing to another. We have these perceptions that somehow we'll find some place or some time and everything won't change and it will be, maybe be, we can find a kind of utopian society in the future where everything will be just right. Isn't that what modern uh, uh, utopian idealism is about? hoping that someday, sometime, that maybe through evolution, mankind will achieve a state where everything will be just very pleasant, will be a utopia. But even in utopias, you get old and die, get senile, lose your mind. Because the human condition is its nature can never really be a satisfactory, can never really satisfy it. The conditions, the sensory world is an unsatisfactory world. Its nature is unsatisfactory. Meaning that we can never be satisfied with the senses, with sensory knowledge, sensory experience. It will gratified but not satisfied because it is unsatisfactory. Now when we really awaken to this truth we don't demand satisfaction from it anymore so we don't suffer from it. 
We only suffer from the sensory world when we expect it to satisfy us. When we expect it to be something that it cannot be for us. We expect our bodies to say, we'd like them to always be young and good-looking and healthy, but they, they won't stay that way. Because they're unsatisfactory, they, our human body can never really satisfy. The human condition on all levels, intellectual, emotional, physical, its nature is to be unsatisfactory. But that is not self. It's not ours anyway. So in our human condition, they as conventional human beings, we began to take note of this, to reflect on it, to consider it, to investigate and know the limitations, the limit, push it, your mind to the limit, so you know that the simple truth that the Buddha taught, all that arises passes away, it's impermanent, and it's not what one is. And this is the way, as a human being, we move toward the amata dhamma, or the immortal truth, where all conditions merge, where there's no longer two. There's no thought, no concept, no word that can give you that truth. That's the Amata truth has to be realized. The meditation is a way of realization. What? Realizing what? Realizing the limits, the unsatisfactory nature of the sensory world doesn't mean a, a negative criticism or denial of it, but an, a full acceptance of it without expecting it to be anything other than what it is. When we don't demand and expect the world to be otherwise, we can always operate within its limitations much more skillfully than when we are constantly demanding, expecting, hoping, and criticizing, complaining about it. As long as we demand that this world be otherwise, we're always going to be caught in trying to, to make it into something. Dwelling on its faults, on what's wrong with it, on what's wrong with oneself, what's wrong with other people, what's wrong with the society we live in. We do that all the time here, don't we? There's so much negativity now in Britain because people just dwell all the time on What's wrong with it? Exaggerating all its problems, faults, defects. It's like being obsessed, obsessed with a scar. You see the scar only, you can't see the face of a person because you're only looking at an ugly scar. <clears throat> you say, what an ugly face. <laughs> and all you're looking at is a scar. That's what blindness is. We, we can only, when we're obsessed with something, we can't see beyond it. 
we're blinded by our obsessions, by our fears, by our desires. So meditation is letting go of that obsession. You're getting some perspective on desire, on fear. When you let it go, then you see it as an object rather than as a personal thing. You no longer see it as a personal quality. So in meditation we are being that which is awake, being that which is alert. We observe how even in, under the best conditions we can create misery. Just observe it. Because we forget that. We, we, we take the miserable as being so real that somehow something pleasant like this particular setting seems insignificant. Maybe a miserable problem of yours seems more important now than just being at peace here in this room. That misery, miserable problem is important, but this being here peaceful in this room somehow isn't so important. We give a lot of importance to things that are important. And just being able to reflect, to just be here, doesn't seem terribly important on the level, on the scale of values. One time I'm in Cambridge, I was leading a meditation weekend at this place where all the CND and nuclear arms, anti-nuke people would come. Sitting there eating my meal one, one afternoon, this morning it was, sitting there eating my meal, and I felt this very disruptive vibration come into the room. So I was sitting, I didn't see, but I just felt something very disruptive come in. And so then this young man comes over, and he starts going, having a go at me. He says, he says you're just, you aren't doing anything for peace. <laughs> what good is just sitting there watching your breath all weekend when the world's going to blow up he made it sound like as if it was up to me to stop it from blowing up he said we had to go out and fight for peace do something And I reflect, this is the most unpeaceful person I've met so far. <laughs> and yet he talks about peace. Because he thinks getting rid of nuclear weapons is the problem. He thinks once you get rid of nuclear weapons, then there's going to be peace. No. <laughs> peace is... The problem is not with nuclear weapons, but with ignorant human beings. Unpeaceful, selfish, misguided human beings. Isn't it? Nuclear weapons are just as they are. Really no need to make such terrible things. If there were if there were if human beings were were wise then they wouldn't make such stupid things. <laughs> but because human beings are so stupid and selfish and foolish 
non-wise, they make things like that. But yet we have no right to condemn other people for being selfish and ignorant when, when we are really no better, are we? We're not putting forth that effort towards awakening, towards wisdom in our own really irritating and annoying to go around accusing someone else when you yourself aren't doing anything either. And if you're doing it yourself, then you don't feel any great need to go around condemning others. But you can see the possibilities in your own life of being awake. So that your lifetime can be skillfully lived. You can learn, you can observe, you can witness to the way things are, free yourself from delusion, free yourself from the delusion that you are a conditioned being that is born, gets old and dies yourself from all the pain, the misery, the burden of self, of me and mine that you've accumulated. And for the rest of your life you can keep letting go so that you don't make burdens, create burdens for the rest of your life. Then you're called what is a field of blessing. field of merit. Wise human being is like to the world universe is like beautiful flower is to the landscape. Wise human being has a has a a powerful effect on everything around. It's like a light in the dark. It lights up everything around you. So reflect on this, what I have said this evening, practice of meditation, we're trying to make as many opportunities, occasions, as much as possible, so that you can all become enlightened very quickly. Andamayang avadikata sadhukaram tatamase Sadhu, 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 anamodam.